This next message, I, I guess it's hard to understand because this, when I tell people that Brother Nate's going to be preaching on the nose of God, they, they, the nose of God, they want clarification. I think most people know what a nose is. So, Brother Nate, you might be answering some questions for some people when you come preach for us. Turn to the book of Jonah, chapter 1. <clears throat> Good to be here this morning. <clears throat> really enjoyed the messages last night. And I will dispense with the usual pleasantries, but I do bring you greetings from the church in Plant City, and uh, the church in Pleasant Plains, Illinois, where my brother, Timothy John pastors, and church in Clow, Michigan, where my father pastors, and I know that they're praying for this meeting. All three churches are, have been, and will continue to do so. I, uh, when I texted Brother Joey, he he gave out the. I said, Brother, just if you're going to assign topics, let me know because it takes me longer to prepare an outline. Writing, I'm not switched over yet to the voice to text on my. Uh, computer, iPad, different things yet. And uh, so he gave me, he said, well, this is what I'm, the Lord's led me to. And he said, you go ahead and pick. And I said, okay, I'll let you know tomorrow. Let me pray about it. And I came back and said, the nose of God. And he goes, you could, you know how he texted back the nose of God question mark. And you could kind of hear the nose of God. Like you could kind of hear it, you know sometimes and so but uh oh let me say this this is a filipino shirt you're not supposed to wear a tie with it this is what they wear in the philippines i have filipino church members and they got this for me and uh so i wear it and uh i was at a meeting last week in florida and a brother from the Philippines, he's got a mission work in California, and he had one, and we took a picture Friday night. He was in this, and I was all excited. He was in one. And then Saturday, he was in one eating breakfast, and then he shows up to preach, and he's in a different one. It's all, I mean, it's silk, and it's got gold and buttons and stuff on it, and I said... I must have the Wednesday night one. <laughs> I said, I got to get me a Sunday one. But anyways. But uh, so anyways, that's what this is. So typically, uh, I, I, 
I don't wear. I you see what I wear, and but this is what it is, and so I was real honored to get it, and uh, thank the Lord for it. And now, if you don't like what I preach, you don't have nothing to hang me with because I don't have a tie on. But Jonah chapter one, verse two, the nose of God, and let's go ahead and read verse one. Uh, it says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. <coughs> and we'll stop reading there, and I just ask you, what do you use your nose for? And again, remember, God is condescending to us. Yeah. And, and throughout, and you can read, you can look up nose, nostrils, and the Bible refers in the Psalms, uh, and, and I think as well as in Job, unto the nose of God and the nostrils of God. It speaks about the power of it as he can blow out and he can move the waters and different things of that. But I, I felt impressed the Lord to take it from this aspect. But he condescends to us that we, the finite, can understand him, the infinite. Okay, because he is, he's un, he is past our comprehension. He's unable to be found out. And except he reveals himself, we wouldn't be able to I'm having trouble connecting him. to the internet. Check your Wi-Fi network connection and so to settings. And so he reveals himself by his mercy and grace, doesn't he? And so what do we use our noses for? Well, we use it for tasting, for smelling, for inhaling, and exhaling, don't we? Right. And there are things that are well-pleasing to us, aren't there? And there are also things that are repugnant to us. And the Bible tells us here, and I want us to look, and we'll be noting here, and the first thing I'd like us to note is the natural man. And that's what we have revealed here unto us in the book of Jonah, in these couple verses. And you remember the Bible tells us in the book of Genesis that God made man and everything that he made in the Bible says that it was good or very good, wasn't it? Right. And the Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes 7.29 that God, he had made everything and, and then man sought out many inventions, didn't he? Right. Right. Man, as the Bible says in Romans 5.12, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death uh, by that, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And the Bible tells us that sin is vile, isn't it? And so we read here in Jonah chapter 1 and verse 2 that God speaks unto Jonah and he says, Arise and go to Nineveh. And I, I know your pastor preached this when he first got here because I gave him my outlines. And he said, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. 
And so the imagery here is that of a, a smell or a repugnant odor wafting up before God. You know, in, in, in uh, Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, we're all familiar with that verse, where God looked down upon creation and he saw their wickedness and the evil thoughts, their imaginations, and how it was only evil continually. He saw. He looked down. So that was their, his sight. He looked down. This, the idea is, is that it came up. Okay, you can look at the Hebrew and Strong's and in Vines and different words. The wickedness is come up. So it's not that he looked down at Nineveh. It's that it came up. It's kind of like, you know, there at the stove, you know, in the, the mist or, 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 you know, you, you walk into the house and, you know, or maybe you're you're out cooking or something. You're out in the backyard and and those one those smells, you know, or different things. This is a bad smell, and we've all had bad smells. We know what those are. Right. This is that the idea conveyed is that their wickedness was so repugnant, so foul, so vile, so offensive, such an odious rank that if they did not turn from it, God would destroy them. That's what God was saying here. And yet, and in all honesty, does this yet still not demonstrate the long-suffering of God? That he was so long-suffering that he permitted it to reach that point and yet still sent a prophet to warn them to flee from the wrath to come. Such is the case with our own nation and our own generation today, is it not? But in reality, such is the case with you sinners that are here today. That you that are here and without Christ as your Savior, that your case is so repugnant, so foul, so vile, so offensive, and such an odorous rank, that if you do not turn unto the Lord through Jesus Christ, that he will destroy you. And he has been long-suffering. This is not a new thing. You have been this way. It's not like you just got here. It's been offensive. It's been coming up before him. He sent you minister after minister, sermon after sermon, preacher after preacher, message after message, and he's still doing it. Right. Your wickedness has come up before the Lord. You may say, well, I don't have any wickedness, but God says, notice that, verse 1, now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah. 
The city of Nineveh might have said, well, we don't have any wickedness. But the word of the Lord had come. And the word of the Lord said they had. And the word of the Lord has said, you do too. You've got some wickedness. And it's come up before him. This day, this hour. Through his sovereignty and providence, you are here, this service, to hear this message that you might know that your wickedness has come up before God. And it is repugnant before him. He is turned off. And you've got a problem because you're contrary to the Lord. Nineveh was a great city. It was great in a number of ways, of which I will not go into. It was great in size, but that's not the only way it was great. They were also great in sin. And you're great in sin. They had religion in their city. You've got religion, no doubt, as well, but it has failed to remove your stench. And it failed to remove my stench as well. It failed to remove Saul of Tarsus' stench too, didn't it? Oh, Paul, he said, boy, if anybody had uh, the ability to boast in the flesh, nobody had more than me. Nobody had more than me. Oh, boy, I was... Uh, I was of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised the eighth day according to the law, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And yet he said there was nothing in that that could save me. And your religion isn't going to save you. Your church going isn't going to save you. Your parents... Beliefs aren't going to save you. We bring you up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and the Bible tells us that you're made wise unto salvation through these teachings, but it's not going to save you. Right. Amen. You're going to have to repent and believe. Except ye repent, ye will perish. You're going to have to do it. You're going to have to believe. Your faith will make you whole. Now Jonah here was crying against this city and we cry against you today because your wickedness has come up before the Lord. Now secondly, praise God There's another thing that's come up before the nose of the Lord, and that is the sweet-smelling savor of the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn over to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We thank God that there is not just only Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, but that we have this as well. 
Ephesians chapter 5, and I'd like to read verse 1 and 2. You see, that stench is never going to come off, is it? Regardless of how many layers you try to cover it up with. There's a simple saying. You know, and, and I've got teenagers and and we've begun to expose them and different things, you know, that teenagers have. And, and I've told them, I said, listen, boys, I said, uh, deodorant and cologne. They're for after showers, not instead of showers. That's just a simple fa- fact of the matter. And they didn't try to use them instead either. I just was, that's just the saying, you know. Some people try to use them instead of. But I said, you remember that. And see, that's what people try to do, isn't it? They try to cover up sin with certain things, don't they? And it doesn't work, does it? Now, they might fool you and I, but they'll never fool God. He can still smell the body odor, can he? Well, listen here. We have here the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, he removes the foul stench. He removes the source of it. And you and I become absolutely perfect. Uh Fully cleansed so that there is no sin stain. There is no source of a foul stench. Right. Amen. Isn't that amazing? He removes the very source of that which makes the repugnant odor. Praise God. I, I'll, I'll put it this way. We, when we lived, uh, when Horatio was little, he had a lot of food allergies, and we had to do a lot of different things, but we had, uh, we, we used to go to a lot of different conferences, and, and just when you live in Caldwell, Kansas, everything's far away. That's just the way it is. I mean, 35 miles an hour, or 35 miles to Walmart. And we'd get home, and inevitably we'd leave a bottle that had uh, his, his milk or whatever it was he had to have. It'd get lost in the van in 106 degrees. And you know what milk does in 106 degrees? It curdles. Well, you find it by the smell. You know, and after a while, and you couldn't find it, and 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 you have to get that bottle out of there, right? Or else you're not gonna get that smell out of the van. And you get the bottle out of there, and you have to throw the bottle away because you can't get the smell out of the bottle. You wash and wash and wash and wash; it's not coming out of there.
But Christ makes us all new, doesn't he? We're a new bottle. He removes that and we he 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 makes us smell not just neutral, but he makes us well pleasing unto God, doesn't he? Yeah. He's the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley. Yeah. That's what he is. Listen, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Be therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a sweet-smelling savor. He's a sweet-smelling savor. That's what he is. Right. He's the fulfillment of of the Old Testament sacrifices. And some of them were called, uh, uh, um, some of them were sweet smelling savors unto God, the burnt offering, the meal offering, and the peace offering. Mm -hmm. And on the great, uh, the great day of atonement, they take a, 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 um, uh, uh, what was it called? Uh, um, a, a, A thing with fire in it, and they take some incense, and they would put the incense uh, with the censer of fire, and they would uh, put it before the altar of the Lord, and it would just put like a, a, a smoke or a mist of incense before the altar of the Lord, and that was symbolic. You could, can you imagine that? Some of us we think our wives with their potpourri and their their, you know, essential oils and and uh, their what's that other uh, smelly stuff they do? Them sticks they use and they light them. You know, we think they're they're a little heavy-handed. But the high priest he'd go into the holy of holies and he'd take that that incense and it would just be a cloud over the the the. Uh, the mercy seat. And uh, imagine how strong that would be. Yeah. Right. And that was to signify how sweet smelling that was unto the Lord. And you know that that um, fragrance, if you would, the concoction of that, they could not use that and their own remedies at home that was only to be used in the service of the Lord. He had a trade, God had a trademark on that. They couldn't use that concoction anywhere else. That was dedicated unto the Lord. All of this shows how that the Lord Jesus, it pictures, foreshadows, what Christ would do as the Lamb of God and as our great high priest, how that he alone would be well-pleasing unto the Lord. How that the Lord would smell his sacrifice at Calvary and as the high priest he would take his sacrifice yonder in heaven into the holy of holies not made with hands and he would apply the blood, and God would be well pleased. 
And that is the only thing that would satisfy God for our sins. He would forever perfect us with one sacrifice. That's the only thing that will keep you, that will make you not repugnant before God. All your religion, all your good works, all your grades, all your yes sir, yes ma'ams, all your going to church, all the things that you think you're doing that pleases mommy and daddy or people, all that. While all that's well and good, don't misunderstand me, that's well and good, none of that is going to put you into heaven. That's right. Not a bit. That's right. The Bible tells us in Matthew 3, 17, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Isaiah 53.10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. All that Christ did his entire life pleased the Father. It was a sweet-smelling savor. Can you say that about your life? No, you can't. No, you cannot. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased God. He was satisfied with his death. And he prophesied that in Genesis 3.15. He said, I'm going to bruise his heel. His heel's going to be bruised, and Satan's head's going to be bruised. And in Isaiah 53, he says, it's going to please me to do it. Boy, he was pleased with it, wasn't he? You know, that's the only thing God's ever been pleased with. That's right, And then in Hebrews 11, 6, he said, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Right. Look over to Romans 4, if you would. Romans 4. And notice, if you would, here, verse 1 through 4. You see, there must be an exchange. There must be an imputation. Christ must put on your filthy, your filthiness, your sinfulness, and you must put on his sweet savoriness. And this is done, we call it, the scriptures call it an imputation. This is done by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look in Romans 4, verse 1. What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? What do the scriptures say? Well, here's what they say. Abraham believed God. He had faith in God. He trusted God. He depended on God. That's what they say. And it was counted. It was reckoned or it was imputed unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace but of debt. You see, Abraham believed God. He depended on God. He trusted God. 
And you know what God did? He exchanged Abraham's sin. He took Abraham's sin and he put it on Christ and he took Christ's righteousness. He took his sweet savor and he put it over here on Abraham. And Christ was crucified because Abraham's sin was on Christ. And so Christ was became the sinner, wasn't he? And he bore sin's penalty. He died in the place of Abraham. He did the same thing for me. If you're here without Christ, you believe on the Lord, he'll take your sin's penalty too. It'll be accounted to you for righteousness. You'll get Christ's righteousness too. And his death will be in the place of yours. And you'll be saved. God will see you as having his own righteousness, as having a sweet, savory smell. He'll smell you and it'll be no longer repugnant. He won't smell any more vile, wretched wickedness. He'll just smell that sweet, savory smell. Thirdly, I will leave you that are here and without Christ. I will leave you, as Spurgeon often said in his sermons, I will leave you to the Spirit and let him deal with you. You that are saved, I will now turn to you. Look over in Romans chapter 12. Romans 12. We will now deal with you and I that are saved. The nose of God. Think not that because we are now sweet-smelling savers in Christ that it is done for us. Beloved, there is a great deal more. Because God has taken away my sin, I am now able to offer sweet-smelling savers unto the Lord. Amen. And I ought to offer them. Amen. I'm required to offer them. Yeah. Look here in Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, plural, I beseech you. I am begging you by the very mercies of God. The ones that have that God had on you and saved you and didn't uh, uh, destroy you from your repugnance unto him, those very ones, I'm begging you by those mercies. Brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
Now, you know what a sacrifice is. A sacrifice is that which is offered unto God. Now, every sacrifice dies, doesn't it? But he says it's a living sacrifice. That's kind of an oxymoron here, isn't it? It just doesn't make any sense. But you're to live for Christ. It's what Paul said in Galatians 2.20. You're to die to self and live to Christ. The scriptures tell us here that our lives are to be a sweet-smelling savor now unto the Lord. Isn't that what we read in Ephesians chapter 5? Verse 1 and 2. Isn't that what Paul told the church at Ephesus? He said, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. He's telling them, Follow us. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ. What did Christ do? He offered himself to God. What should you do? Offer yourselves to God. Well, how have you offered yourself to God? What have we done for godly? Are you in a ditch? A rut? My grandfather said, you know what a ditch is? It's a grave with both ends knocked out. That's all it is. Essentially, you're just dead. And both ends are knocked out. You're not doing anything. Look over to Hebrews 13. What are some sacrifices that you can offer unto the Lord? What are some things? Because again, we are a spiritual priesthood, aren't we? I I do not believe in the Baptist priesthood. I believe that every believer is a priest. I've been accused of of believing in a Baptist priesthood. I believe that every believer, every true believer, is a priest of God. I believe that just as in the Old Testament, God has chosen a place where he's to be worshipped. He chose the tabernacle, then he chose the temple, and in the New Testament, he's chosen his kind of church, which is a Baptist church. Not every church of, uh, not every Baptist church is the Lord's. But every church of the Lord's is a Baptist church. I believe his people are to come to his kind of a church and offer our sacrifices unto him. And they're spiritual because we are priests and we offer spiritual sacrifices. 
We don't bring lambs and bulls and goats. Listen to Hebrews 13 and verse uh, 15 and 16. I'm almost done. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Let's read that again. By him, by who? By Jesus Christ. Therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. Do we offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually? No, we don't. Do we praise God continually? No, we come in murmuring and complaining. Oh, gas prices is this. Oh, this, the weather's this. Of course the weather's this. It's December. It's like this every December. It's like this every, you know, summer. It's like this every year. It's the way it is. We murmur and complain. We're like Israel of old. Aren't we? Yeah. We are nowhere near that great generation of Joshua who never left following the Lord. We're not like them at all. We like to think we are, but we're more like them at the end of the book of Judges. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. I'm not talking about our generation. I'm talking about people, us in this room. Yeah. I'm not talking about people outside this room. I'm talking about us in this room. Right. Us in these churches. We do what's right in our own eyes. And we look down our pharisaical noses at people outside this room. Don't we? I mean, let's be honest. Let's look in the mirror. Verse 16. But to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Amen. Right. Look over Revelation 5. I got to move. I got three verses left. And they are pertinent. Revelation 5, verse 8. Here's one. I think this is really important, especially in the day and hour in which you and I now live. How's your prayer life? Probably on life support. I mean that. Even preachers, it's probably on life support. Right. You know, we sing that hymn, Sweet Hour of Prayer. We ought to take that down to sweet 30 seconds of prayer. Revelation 5 and verse 8. Notice here. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps, and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. Yeah. Odors. 
sweet smelling savors are the prayers of saints. Look over at the 141st Psalm. Psalm 141. Here the Psalm of David, Psalm 141, and notice verse 1 and 2, he says, Lord, I cry unto thee, make haste unto me, give ear unto my voice when I cry unto thee, let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. That's not really how we go, is it? No. You know, what? I'll put it this way. When was the last time you prayed when food wasn't in front of you? We're, we don't really do that much, do we? All right, my last point, Philippians 4.18. Philippians 4.18. <clears throat> We've got the sweet-smelling savor of Christ, the sweet-smelling savor of you as individuals, sacrifices that you can offer, and then sweet-smelling savors or sweet smells that churches can offer. And I think, y'all, I speak uh, individually, and... I have been the recipient of this as of late. And I it takes, as my followers said, it takes a lot of grace to give and it takes more grace to receive. I do not like receiving. I would rather be a giver. God really humbles you to receive things. Verse 18, and... I'll say this, if you ever have to be a receiver, these are not loans. These are not to be paid back. God has bestowed these as gifts. Right. You don't keep score. That's not what these are. You just thank God and move on. Philippians 4.18, but I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, the church at Philippi, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. God was well-pleased with what the church at Philippi did. I don't know what they did. I remember my father, he was a missionary in the... <clears throat> early 80s <clears throat> and he'd get some uh, support and some people you know <clears throat> other mission support stuff they you know you send out monetary as, as a missionary and you know you ever look at the financial report and some people look and say oh this church they give <clears throat> they give you know five thousand dollars boy that's really something well maybe they could have gave 20,000. Yeah. This church over here, they only gave 50. 
Well, maybe they should have only gave five. But they gave liberally. Yeah. Right. And they walked by faith and gave 50. And the church who gave 5,000 didn't walk by faith. Right. And they should have gave 50. But they were stingy. And you know that 5,000 wasn't well pleasing to the Lord because they should have gave 50. And so never judge churches by what you see on a on a treasure or a, a list like that. Don't ever judge them by that. You don't know. But all I can tell you is is it's between that church and the Lord. And that's something that a church can do that'll be well pleasing to the Lord. And so these are all things that God, he smells these things, doesn't he? And so he, he, there's not one thing he doesn't smell. And so all these things come up before him, doesn't he? Sinners, oh, that's repugnant. You know, there's churches that are repugnant to him. He tells them to repent. And they need to repent. And get things right with him. And sinners, they need to repent and trust in the Lord. And the Lord will save them and then they need to serve him. And live right and they'll have a, a life that will be a sweet smelling savor unto him. And churches need to do the same. So brother, you come. I apologize for being over on time. Thank you, brother. Amen. I was thinking about coming and stopping him, but he almost died, so I let him uh, go a little. I'm just kidding. Yeah. All true. No, but seriously, though, how easy is it to forget that the Lord does perceive and sense those things, being, being the Almighty? He mentioned churches. I'm going to go in reverse order of churches. You know, it's, it's easy for us to think because we believe sovereign grace, landmark, missionary, everything down the line, whatever. So did the church of Laodicea. They thought they had it all figured out, didn't they? Yeah. Um, I know personally I need to, by judging or examining the Lord, not look at things through my own eyes, but see how he perceives and live accordingly. Brother White, some of y'all don't know this, he used to work at the paper mill, so a lot of things that you can smell, he can't. There's nothing that God doesn't smell. And there's two extremes of that smell, isn't there, brother? He touched on the two extremes of that. Um, when I had COVID, everything smelled like bitter vines to me, and, and Jill knew how serious it was when I reached over at her plate and picked off a cucumber off of her plate and ate it. <laughs> she thought it was really serious then. Um, everything was awful. From, from sweetness to, to everything was awful to me. And that's the condition of man, as he said before God. Thank God for the sweet Savior of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank God Amen. for the sweet Savior of Jesus Christ. Very good.